So uh, I definitely caught a lot of slack this morning. Um, apparently, I show these clips from this movie a lot. Um, this is one of my favorite movies, uh, The Darjeeling Limited. It's a Wes Anderson film. And I may have even shown this very clip before, I've heard. So if, if, if you're completely annoyed with this, The Darjeeling Limited, I promise I'll kind of set this to the side. We won't come back to it for at least another six months or so. Um, but one of the things I love about this movie, it's, it's a movie about a journey, a journey towards healing. It's these three brothers who experience this traumatic event where their, their father dies. And this event, this moment, kind of brings them together as they, as they search for meaning beyond that and what it means to be family after. Um, they go on this journey together. And, and it's a very spiritual journey. It, there's a lot of incredible uh, illusions here. And, and one of the things I love is kind of this moment where they've been through so much together as brothers. And you see, uh, you see this, um, th- this character who, who takes off his bandages, Owen Wilson's character, as he's looking in the mirror. And, and of course, he's clearly wounded. And he says, I guess I still have some healing to do. That as far as they've come, there's still, there's still a distance to go. He's healed, but he's not quite there yet. I love it. And I thought about this clip, uh, even though, again, apparently not new, um, as we're kind of ending this series together. We've been in a series for the last six weeks that we've been calling Whole. And in this series, we've been looking at um, how in Scripture we see that Jesus is inviting us to experience peace, wholeness, become complete people in relationship with God and with others. And we've looked at a lot of different angles on that. And Our expectation is not that any one thing that has happened here or even a series of six talks is going to create some transformational experience for you. But our hope is that along the way you've received some tools, some things that have been helpful in taking your next steps because all of us still have a lot of healing that we need. And our hope is that we can learn to kind of move together on that journey as we discover what it looks like for us to become whole people in relationship with God and with others. Uh, and as I say that, you notice there's a word that I kind of use a lot, and, and that word is, is relationships. And as we kind of land this week, I want to end talking this morning some about the necessity for relationships. And I know at various times throughout this series, we brought that up. It's definitely been kind of a key piece. You've heard people share when, when we had individuals sharing about what was helpful for them as they kind of moved through traumatic experiences. Relationship was a key part of that. We've mentioned it several times. But I kind of wanted to land on it strongly as we wrap things up because I do think relationships are a key part of what it looks like for us to find wholeness and health together. As uh, Bruxy Cavey, the pastor and author, says, we were made by relationship for relationship. And again, we, again, we've talked about this, but just to bring it back full circle, we believe that God is, exists in eternal, loving relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that it's out of that relationship, out of that love relationship that we were born, we were made, we were created. And we were created to experience wholeness, fulfillment in relationship. And that relationship, there's kind of two dynamics to that relationship. Um, And the one is our relationship with God. 
kind of the, the crux of what it means to be human is to be someone who lives in relationship with our creator. That we were designed to be whole and complete as we know the one who made us. You may have heard uh, variations on the quote from Pascal, the mathematician, philosopher, theologian, etc., kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Pascal said this, said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? He's talking about this sense, this kind of sense, this craving within us. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness? of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. That's a mouthful, but you you may have heard it translated kind of like this, that there's a a God-shaped hole that exists in all of us that can only be filled with our creator. Uh, Pascal never exactly said those words, but it's it's kind of a paraphrase of this. This idea that within us is a longing, a need that we try to often fill with lots of other things. We're trying to cram things in there, but nothing, nothing can fill it except for the one who made us, our creator. And as we look at the person of Jesus, this is ultimately what Jesus is inviting us to. This is what Jesus had came to accomplish, to invite us to find wholeness in relationship with God, with our creator. One of the early church leaders, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says it this way. He's writing to a group of Christ followers, and he says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Paul's pointing to this reality that we find wholeness primarily as we come to know our creator through Jesus. That this is what we were wired for. And that until we encounter our creator, until we come to know our creator, there will there'll be something that's just not quite complete in us, not quite fully who we were created to be, how we were fully to experience life. The key to our wholeness is our relationship with our creator through Christ. This is is why we exist as as a faith community, because we believe this is true, that all of us are longing to know our creator, and that only in coming to know him can we experience full and complete life. That's one of the dynamics, one of the relational dynamics that we need in order to be whole and complete. But there's a second, and often it's described that there's kind of a a horizontal and a vertical dynamic, that there's a a vertical dynamic between us and God, which isn't exactly accurate, right? Because we don't believe that God necessarily exists up there somewhere, that God is present with us. So but you get the point, that there's, a, there's the relationship with God, but then there's also the, the horizontal, the, the relationship with others, the need to be in healthy relationship with other people. That's so critical. It's so important that when Jesus was asked 
what was the most important thing that was ever written in the law? What's the most important commandment in all the law? He decided not to quote one, but two. If you've been around, we've quoted this a lot. You're probably familiar with this. Even if you haven't been around here or you don't have a whole lot of church background, you've probably heard this in some form. Jesus responded this way in Matthew chapter 22. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing? Fundamentally, what do we need to understand from the law? Distill it down for us. What do we got to walk away with here? Jesus says, you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor. Those two things complete all of the law. You'll find the fulfillment of the law in those two things, loving God and loving your neighbor. And this is important because loving your neighbor isn't just about serving people, though there's an aspect of that. Clearly, there's a way in which we look to our neighbor and we think, how do I serve those people who are in need around me? How do I, how do I help meet the needs of those who are around me? But there's also a need for us to learn to have friendship, to build intimacy with people. Like when, when Scripture talks about loving God, it's not primarily talking about serving God. There are aspects to which, yes, we, we recognize that there are things that God calls us to do that we live out of, but it's primarily about loving God, that Jesus ultimately reveals God to us he's as friends. And so as we're called to love God, it's not a, it's not a servant master, but there's a, a real relationship there that God's inviting us into. And in the same way, when Jesus says it's critical that you learn to love your neighbor, he doesn't just mean you've got to figure out how to serve people, though there's elements of that, clearly. He means in order for you to be whole people, you need to have meaningful relationships, real friendships, intimacy. Now, I know that as soon as we start talking about intimacy, it can get kind of weird, especially guys. Stick with me. Because this, uh, the, the word intimacy has obviously been co-opted in lots of unhelpful ways to be expressed primarily as a romantic term. So when we think intimacy, we start thinking about lots of things that we see in kind of romantic films, and that makes us uncomfortable. And that's not exactly, that's not, not exactly, that's not at all what I'm talking about. And that's not what Scripture is talking about. What it's talking about is having the kind of friendships, having the kind of relationships that do not necessitate you wearing a mask, that don't require you to pretend like you're someone that you aren't, that allows you to be you, to be transparent, to be honest about what you really think and feel about what's going on in your life. And we need to talk about this because loneliness is actually a real problem. It's an, it's an epidemic. And as we talked about a little bit last week, there's a strong correlation between the, the health of our relationships and our own personal, emotional, mental, spiritual health and well-being. When you don't have authentic friendships, you struggle in all sorts of different aspects. Even physically, it impacts you. Stephen Thomas, who's a, an author wrote an article, uh, showed up in, in Hazlitt. It's like an online magazine. And it was incredibly well uh, documented. He had, had lots of kind of sources, lots of different um, studies and sur uh, survey studies. Um, 
research that he was kind of quoting in this article, and I want to read you a couple of pieces from it. He's talking about primarily in this article isolation and loneliness as it pertains to men, but there are, there's a number of um, realities here that go across gender, men and women. He writes, It turns out that loneliness and isolation are shockingly bad for your health and well-being. The quality of your friendships is the largest predictor of your happiness. Social isolation weakens your immune system, raises your blood pressure, messes with your sleep, and can be as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. According to the authors of a widely cited meta-analysis, loneliness on its own can increase your chances of an early death by 30%, and heightened risk for mortality from a lack of social relationships is greater than that from obesity. Now, if you could see this article, it, you could see that this isn't just, these aren't just hyperbolic things he's saying, that there's a lot of hyperlinks, actually, um, in this article that link to other, to, to research, to statistics about, that support his arguments. So he's not just kind of throwing things out there. But there's a lot of studies that show that the health and well-being of our relationships affects us far deeper than we, than we ever thought. Emotionally, spiritually, mentally, but also physically, that our, our very health can be affected if we don't have significant and meaningful friendships where we can be honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives. And the thing is, we're really, really bad at this. We stink at having good relationships. Some of you might be great individually, but as a culture, collectively, we're bad at this. Thomas goes on in his article to say this. <clears throat> he says, friendship in adulthood is a challenge for a lot of people. That might be a duh to many of you. On average, both men and women start to lose friends around age 25. If you're not there yet, sorry for the bad news. Um, and continue to lose friends steadily for the rest of our lives. As adults, we tend to work more, commit to more serious romantic relationships, and start families all of which end up taking priority over buddy time. Furthermore, young adults move around the country more than any other demographic, which severs our support networks, a phenomenon that Robert Putnam called the, calls the repotting effect, referring to the injury a transplanted plant sustains after losing its roots. People are changing jobs more than ever, which interrupts connections that in previous eras would have been decades long. And freelancing, which Forbes estimates 50% of, US, of the U.S. workforce will be doing in one way or another by 2020, deprives the worker of not only job security, but social stability. The momentum of our culture is increasingly moving us toward isolation. I mean, it, it's fascinating. I was even talking to someone this morning. Uh, for those of us who have young kids who are involved in athletics, we have often found ourselves, I mean, confession here this morning, my wife is in Lancaster with my daughter who, who has a gymnastics meet, right? It's been all weekend long they've had this meet and, and her team is performing now. And many of us who have kids who are involved in things that, that used to be kind of nice side hobbies that they could do, they now kind of consume our lives. And times when we might connect with other people, even on Sunday mornings at a place like this, are now taken up with running our kids to things. Even things that, that we've developed for the sake of building meaningful relationships, right? like social media, has actually been found to increase our sense of isolation. That the more time we spend on social media sites, 
the more lonely we feel. All of these factors are moving us increasingly towards a situation that we don't even, we don't even know we're heading towards. And then one day we wake up and we realize we haven't done the work of cultivating meaningful relationships. We haven't done the work of holding on to relationships that matter. We just assumed that, of course, these things would last. And then we wake up one morning and we're like, does anybody know me? Is there anybody I can talk to about these things that really matter? If we're going to stop, if we're going to reverse this trend, it's not going to happen because we hope it will. It's going to happen because we make different choices. There's a great story. Uh, one of my favorite illustrations of this reality is in um, one, of the, one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus, Mark chapter 2. And in this, Mark is, is telling us about a time when Jesus is teaching. And Jesus is becoming pretty popular at this time. I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Mark chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, feel free to, to follow along. If you don't, we'll have the, the passage up here on the screen. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. So, it's kind of a crazy story, uh, but if you kind of back up just to give you some, some framework for it, uh, most of these homes would have been, archaeologists tell us, most of these homes would have been kind of built with uh, wooden beams running across the top and then thatch, like uh, branches and mud. Uh, so they would have covered them with branches and then put mud over top of them to solidify and form kind of a hard surface. There typically would have been steps kind of leading up to a flat roof, and so it's not that unreasonable to think about people kind of walking up and being able to walk on these roofs. They weren't, they weren't made to hold a lot of weight, but they could hold some. But if, if you could imagine what it would be like to be at a place where you were so desperate that you decided to dig a hole in someone's roof. I, I mean, cultures were different, I'll grant you. Like, there was a lot of different cultural sensibilities back in, you know, first century Palestine than we experience now. I'm still going to wager that you would need to ask for permission before digging a, a hole in someone's roof. Probably. I'm just, I'm guessing on that one. I didn't read that in any commentaries. But, I mean, these guys, they, they want to get their friend to Jesus, but the crowd's so, I mean, it's packed, right? Wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder. They can't get through. And so they're so desperate, they carry their friend up on the roof, and they dig a hole in this person's roof and lower their friend down. 
And Jesus responds. What's, what's fascinating in the passage is it says Jesus saw their faith. That, that this guy, this paralyzed guy, he, he may have been just as, I mean, assuming he's probably desperate to get there himself, but it doesn't seem that Jesus responded to this guy. Jesus responded to his friends. That it was, it was their faith that moved Jesus to heal him. And when I, whenever I read this story, all I can think about is how badly we need friends like this guy had friends. How much we need people who will do whatever it takes to get us what we need. People who might even be willing to dig through the roof of someone's house if that's what it takes. These were people who were so committed to this guy and his story and, and helping him get what he needed from Jesus that they put themselves at risk. I mean, at a minimum, they were facing some public embarrassment. Maybe there was even some, some legal ramifications. I don't know. But they were willing to take it on because of their care for this guy. We need friends like this. Um, I was thinking about this the other day as I was talking to a buddy of mine, a guy named Carl. Um, Carl has been going through a pretty difficult time. Um, he's been married for probably, I don't know, somewhere in the 20s, in, that range, in the 20-some years. And they're going through a really, really hard stretch. Um, and he was, he was telling me about the fact that he was just kind of hitting this place of desperation and he didn't really know what to do or where to turn. And he was texting a friend of his about this and the friend responded, hey, look, my day off's coming up. Let me just come out and take you to lunch. And so Carl was like, all right, fine. So they got together and they spent, you know, an hour, hour and a half together with Carl just sharing, this is, this is what's going on, this is what's happening. And he was like, the crazy thing is, my friend didn't say much. He didn't really have much to offer. I mean, what do you say to that? He just listened. But I remember there was this one moment in this conversation where I was talking about, I was wondering if it was all worth it. I was talking about the last 20-some years and, and, and everything that I thought we had done together. And, and, and was it really worth it? You know, the kids, the house, the careers, all of that. Was it just a waste? And he said, you know what was really, really helpful? He said, my friend goes, Carl, that's total BS. Everything you just said to me is BS. It's just, it's bogus. You know it, I know it. I'm sorry you're in a tough spot. I feel for you. But what you're saying is crazy. And he started talking to him about all the beautiful things that had happened, the ways that the, the lives of his kids, the, the difference that he had made in, in other people's lives along the way. And Carl said, you know, at the, in the moment, it felt like someone was attacking me. I'm, I'm here, I'm sharing my heart, here's what I think, and this guy's telling me the whole thing is BS. He's like, but it was totally what I needed to hear. I needed somebody who would kind of grab me and shake me and go, it's bad, but it's not as bleak as all that. And I thought, man, we really need friends like 
Carl has. You and I really need people who can sit across from us and, and listen to our stories and hear our pain, but be willing to tell us when we're going down places that are, when, when we're believing lies, when we're going in directions that aren't healthy or helpful, that they'll walk with us and comfort us, but that they'll also challenge us and smack us if we need to. We need people in our lives who can do that for us. And, and that's going to look different for everyone. It's, it's not going to look the same for each of us, not in terms of, of time or even in how the relationship plays out. But we need friends who, who can pray for us when things are hard, who we, we don't have to kind of sugarcoat things with, that when we're having a really difficult time at home or at work or personally, maybe going through some significant mental or emotional strain, we need people that we can reach out to and say, this is how I'm doing. I need help. Can you pray for me? Can you, can you show up and, and talk to me? Can you, can you go with me to a counselor because I don't want to do this on my own? We need people in our lives who will do this. But not only do we need people in our lives who will do this for us, but we need to learn how to be those kind of friends for the people in our lives. And again, you can't be that person for everyone. You're not supposed to be. It's impossible. But you can be that person for someone. You need to be. Who are the people in your life who you could be that kind of a friend for? Who are the people in your life who you could invite to be that kind of a friend for you? Who you could invite to be part of that cohort, that one or two people who could come around you and walk with you? And that doesn't mean you see them all the time. They might be people who live a couple hours away from you. But they're people who know you, who care about you, who you know if things are going badly, you can pick up the phone and call them and be like, ah, this is rough. And they might not have the answers, but they can hear it, and they can talk you through it. They can pray for you. They're willing to admit when they don't have the answers, and they care about you enough to not try and give you easy ones. We need those people in our lives, and we need to learn how to be those people for others. But it's going to take intentionality. It's, it's not going to just happen because we hope it happens. It's going to happen because we choose to do it because we choose to prioritize those kind of relationships. And I know what you're thinking. Um, you're thinking, I don't have time. Like, I, I can't even, I, I can't keep up with a series on Netflix, let alone the kind of relationship that you're talking about. Like, I, I don't even know how that's physically possible with someone with my schedule. And I hear you. Most of us do not have an abundance of free time. And none of us feels like we have really any extra time to spare. But of course you know that we make time for the things that we value. We have the time that we need for the things that we need. It's just a question of how we're going to choose to allocate that time. What choices are we going to make to create space in our lives so that we can have these kind of friendships and we can be these kind of friends to others? I think this is fundamental for what it means to be healthy. If we want to be the kind of people who really flourish in life, 
We've got to have some people like this in our lives. Again, you don't have to have 12 of them. Maybe just one or two. But somebody. Somebody who you've cultivated this kind of relationship with. So a couple things to think about, and then we're going to move into a time of q and I want to um, encourage you, if there's thoughts or questions you have, whether it's this morning or maybe you've been tracking with us through the whole series and there are some things you've been thinking about in the process of this series that you want to bring up, I want to invite you to do that. We'll have somebody with a mic, and you can shoot up your hand, and they'll come around to you. Uh, there's also a phone number on the back of your bulletin. If you're not the kind of person who uh, feels comfortable raising your hand and talking in front of a bunch of people, you can text that number and we'll try and read off as many of those as we can. But a couple of things to think about. <clears throat> so again, there's two relationship dynamics that we talked about this morning. And the first is our relationship with God. Now, obviously, we gave that a little bit shorter time, not because it's less important. Um, but again, that's something we try to weave into most of the things we talk about, that fundamental to what it means to be a whole, complete person is to be someone who has a relationship with our Creator. And for some of you, this... this Maybe kind of the first time as you're, you've been coming to Koinos, maybe this morning or maybe kind of in recent history that you've actually found this idea compelling, this idea that there is a creator and this creator may want to have a relationship with you. And in this, there's, there's no like, you know, there's no secret handshake. There, there's nothing special that you have to do other than open yourself up to the creator. Open yourself up to God as he reveals himself in Jesus. To know him. It's, it's not kind of an instantaneous thing where you say, I want that, and tomorrow everything has changed. It's a relationship where you open yourself up to the creator and he begins to work in you. Where you, you notice yourself... As, as you get to know him, growing, changing, slowly over time. It's not an instantaneous transformation that happens. It's, it's this slow unfolding relationship between you and the one who made you, who reveals himself to us in Jesus, that we can know him. So if, if that's you, I just I encourage you, to begin to, to just engage with God, to begin to, to pray, to, to ask God to help you to know him, to grow in relationship with him. Begin to, to pick up a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have ones out in the, uh, the foyer that we'd love to give you uh, for free to take home. And, and just start reading some of the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We believe Jesus shows us who God is and what God is like. And that as you spend time reading about Jesus, to continue to ask God to, to help you to know him, to be like him, to grow in love for him and in love for others. And then secondly, <clears throat> maybe you're realizing that you don't have these kinds of relationships in your life. You don't have these kind of significant, meaningful friendships, or you're looking around and realizing that you're pretty quickly moving in a direction that isolates you from people. I mean, I think the, the one thing I can encourage you that I, I've said before and I, I want to say again is that this is not going to happen by accident. If you want to be the kind of person who wakes up 
and is having a really difficult time of it and says, I know someone I can call, it, it only happens because you prioritize that relationship, because you work towards that relationship, because you make space in your life for it. You're never going to feel like you have time, but you're going to have to make time. And so if you may have some people in your life already that you're looking around, you're like, I want that person to be in my life for the next 20 years. And maybe you need to start taking some steps to cultivate that. Or maybe you're looking around and going, I don't really have anybody in my life at all. Um, Definitely not somebody who I have this kind of relationship with. Well, maybe what you could do is start to And I know this sounds a little counterintuitive, but rather than starting with looking for a relationship, start with, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, that was probably really loud. Um, Start with looking at what are the things that you care about? What What are you passionate about as a person? And do one of them. Start to cultivate something that matters to you. Again, you don't have time for all of them, but one of them. And as you do, begin to notice who are people who maybe share that passion? Who are people who they love doing that too? And what might it look like to begin to spend some intentional time with them, cultivating relationships and seeing where that goes? It's not an easy fix. It's not something that happens overnight because you look at someone and you go, we should be buddies. Let's make that happen. But it it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. And maybe, and we, you know, we say this a lot, maybe there are opportunities that exist here for you to begin to cultivate some of that stuff, whether it's the navigating groups, the three different groups we have that meet in different places where people come together, look at some scripture, and talk about how it influences their life. Maybe it's the wayfaring group that's meeting, well, here, um, afterwards. Maybe that's a place where you can begin to cultivate some of that. Maybe it's just finding someone who's serving alongside of you in some capacity here that you can invite out for a cup of coffee or to grab lunch and get to know them. It's not magic, but it does take work. But I do think these relationships, our relationship with God and with one another, are the key factors. All of this other stuff we've talked about for the last six weeks is really important, but these are the two keys that everything hangs on. Are we growing in our love for the one who made us? And are we learning to cultivate meaningful relationships with the people around us? All right. We're going to jump into some Q&A. So again, if you, I'm going to throw up a question here that could maybe get the juices flowing. If, if there aren't other specific questions, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. The what challenges do you face to maintaining or cultivating meaningful friendships? Some of that I could guess, but for some of us, there's probably some specific things that sometimes it's helpful to articulate, that's the thing that's keeping me, so that then we can develop strategies for, oh, how do we get through that? So I'd love to hear your response to that question, um, or if you have other questions, those are great as well. Again, it can be from this morning, or if anything we've talked about leading up to now is fair game too. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, thank you for, for loving us for desiring to know us and for inviting us into relationship with you through Jesus. As we take this bread and juice now, would you remind us of Jesus' death and resurrection that welcomes us into 
being known and being loved and knowing and loving our Creator. And would you empower us to do the hard work of building meaningful relationships with others, both knowing and being known, so that we might be whole, or at least that we might be growing in wholeness as we grow to love you and love others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.